Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of FFS Another Brexit Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Amanda. And we have a sensational podcast for you this week with updates from literally all over the country. Can we call it sensational? I'm not sure we're allowed to do that, are we? I mean, I just did and I back myself. So I'm going to have the confidence of a mediocre Boris Johnson and plough on with our sensational podcast. I back you, I back you. This week, FFS are lucky enough to call Edinburgh, Bedfordshire, Newport, Belfast and Belfast? Belfast, I think is how you say it. And Barking, our homes as we smash our way across all four nations to ensure that young people's voices are heard in this increasingly fraught Brexit debate. I mean, that is, of course, why we created FFS Another Brexit podcast, to ensure that you, dear listener, didn't just get the same old Brexit bullshit, but the unvarnished views of voices from outside the vocal mainstream. And as always, we will be giving you insider analysis, our out-of-the-box, hot takes, (laughs) top-notch guests, and lowbrow comedy. What's top. our lowbrow comedy going to be? I say top-notch guests. I know. I <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I've never used that phrase before. This is madness. But talking of our top-notch guest, this week we have Gavin Esler. So he presented Newsnight for over a decade. He's written multiple books. He ran as a candidate for Change UK in the Euro elections. And perhaps most excitingly, he makes an appearance in Hobbs and Shaw. You don't strike me as a fast and furious fan. No, I literally don't know what words I just said. However, the producer's smiling, so I'm assuming I said the right words. You did. You said them right. Um, There aren't many people who know more about Brexit, UK politics and what on earth is going on than Gavin. So we're very excited to have him with us today. So as we record this, I can confirm that it is 1.45-ish on Wednesday, the 11th of September. And why am I saying that? Because there is too much happening too quickly for our little humble podcast to stay up to date to, so that by the time we've recorded, it actually still matters when it goes out. Yeah, okay. So let's let's try and at least work out what has happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh... Do you mean this morning, over the last week? Let's try last week. So what we know (laughs) is that Parliament has been suspended. And that is, at the time of recording, still true. Still true. We know that 21 MPs of the governing party have been deselected. 
And at the time of recording, that is still true. <laughs> we know that Boris Johnson's brother doesn't feel like he can serve in his brother's government. And that is still true and going down as one of my favourite resignation letters ever because it was brutal. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. We know that Boris Johnson doesn't really do stuff when women are fainting behind him. It doesn't matter whether they're a police officer or whoever the hell they are. <laughs> I know. He's not going to do anything. And literally, my stomach was in knots watching that because one, it just looked like weird, authoritarian, bizarre Matt. anyway. Matt. Yeah. And then she fainted. He looked over his shoulder and clearly made the mental decision to carry on. Yeah. And she sat down or whatever. And I was like, I'm sorry, but what? what? No. Crazy. <laughs> Please at least act like a human rather <laughs> yeah, than exactly. just like a weird Do dictator. something. Um, Amber Rudd has resigned. Another brutal resignation letter, actually, which I, I quite hers. enjoy. Yeah, it was excellent. And we know that Farage has offered Johnson a pact to work together. That's looking increasingly likely. Yeah, and I mean, you know, just today there was a full page cover on the Daily Express, I think it was, of Farage saying, look, we'll work with you if you do X, Y, Z. Already on that, actually, he's softened the language because he's absolutely you know, desperate to have this packed. But also the one thing I found genuinely quite fascinating about that was it looked like a kind of like a front page. It was kind of set out like your classic political, you know, two people versus each other front page. And maybe it was just me, but at first glance, I couldn't see anything that said like paid advert. Mm. And I was a bit like, I don't, I personally, I'll be honest, I don't think people are stupid. I think they will know, oh, that's been like agreed, but I'm not going to pretend that I knew what a wrap of a paper was before I started on this yeah, campaign. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. why should anybody else? Yeah, true, true. What else do we know? We know that many of our MPs have terrible singing voices. Did you hear that? Hear the red flag and the the anthems from oh. the nations being sang. You looked at me like I was. I thought you were just going off on like a wild <laughs> was tangent. Mad. No, they were they were in the Commons at like three a.m. Just the reason I don't know they were singing was because at three a.m. I had gone to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like so nothing was happening. Was Everyone had lost control, and I needed to switch off Parliament TV. <laughs> yeah, which is good. We should we should all do that. We absolutely at 3 should do that. Uh, and now we know this morning that the Scottish courts have said that the proroguing is illegal. But what does that mean, Jason? I don't know. Have so they what? even said that it's illegal? <laughs> they've said that it, it shouldn't have happened? I think they've said, we disapprove in yeah. very, very strongful, strongful? Strong language. Right. Unlawful is what my producer is saying. Yeah. I mean, That's I should, not great. <laughs> I should point out that doesn't help us answer the question of, oh, okay, so what next? Yeah. Yeah. The so, one thing we do know that's happening next is that Parliament is suspended until mid October. And once it comes back, there's a small matter of the European Council, the deadline of sometime a bit later in October, where Johnson has to have asked for an extension, as he is actually now mandated to do, whether he likes it or not, he's, mm. he is mandated to do. There's a large people's vote march on October 19th, probably a vote of no confidence, probably an agreed general election. And then, you know, some other stuff will probably happen too. But I think that's going to all happen in the first week back. Brilliant. Can I just get your thoughts on one thing very quickly? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you look nervous. because <laughs> you've suddenly gone dead serious. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, I don't know why. Dominic Cummings. Yeah. Is he a lunatic or is this all part of a master plan? What's your take? I mean, I don't think things went to his original plan. Mm. I absolutely don't think they thought those conservative MPs would rebel and lose, you know, the whip, not be allowed to sit as conservatives anymore. I think they, for some reason, thought they could get more Labour rebels to just kind of broadly support them in what they were 
doing mm. but i also like i think when most people talk about a plan it's quite fixed so this will happen on that date and this will happen but the one thing where i do think cummings is quite clever is he's like okay cool so the way for us to win this is to have a general election and get a majority like i think he's probably got quite a few different options about when that general election is like he's not off the back of anything that's happened in parliament this week they've not changed their narrative mm. they're still doing crime immigration nhs deliver brexit they've not mm. actually put a date to any of those things so it kind of works for them and whilst most sensible people i would suggest will be like okay so you know a court of law the scottish court of law has said that it was unlawful what boris johnson did cummings will just shrug and be like yeah cool parliament versus the people let's yeah. go like yeah, do you know what yeah, i mean yeah. so i don't feel like they planned as much detail as maybe people assumed they had done. Mm. They're just looking at everything that's happened and being like, okay, let's, where do we put the spin on it? How can we make everything fall into a narrative of parliament versus the people? But mm. I do think they slightly, Boris Johnson, this is, wasn't prepared for like his brother to quit so publicly. Yeah. For 21 yeah, yeah. colleagues to be like, no, screw you. I'm not going to sit in your party for Amber Rudd to quit. I don't think he was prepared for it. Yeah. I suspect it's coming was, but he doesn't care, does he? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. There's this whole narrative that's been built about Cummings being this evil genius, but it's hard to think that he planned for all of those disastrous things to happen because they are disastrous, right? Your brother leaving your government doesn't look good. 21 mm. MPs leaving your party doesn't look good. But there's still this nagging feeling for me that actually he's still relaxed about well, I think, he, but you happened. can be relaxed and not have a plan. Yeah, I do yeah, that yeah. quite a lot. But you can <laughs> no, genuinely, like you can be relaxed and not have a plan. You just look at everything that happens, which yeah. he must do, and be like, "Okay, cool. How do we make this fit into Parliament versus people? How yeah. do we make this fit into Parliament versus people?" Yeah, like, yeah. and just try and win that. Yeah, election. and if that's your whole plan, it actually it probably has been quite a few chilled days, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah, for him, if not anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've got a quite few weeks and months ahead. Then. Yep. <laughs> i don't uh, really have anything more to add <laughs> yeah um i need to lie down so despite the madness i think we should be at least proud of our ffs activists who've been hitting the headlines absolutely doing some brilliant work it's been a, a good a good week i mean absolutely i mean firstly and most importantly the people's vote campaign which ffs played quite an integral part in this i would suggest launched our plan for what we would do in a general election into mm -hmm. last sunday's newspapers yeah that's great. And on the front page of one of those papers, we had next to, next to Lord Heseltine, our FFS activist, Hillary. Yep. And for those who haven't had the chance to see it, what the PV campaign has decided we're going to do is 100-ish, bit of wiggle room there, marginal seats. And we're going to do what we can to use those marginal seats to elect MPs or candidates who support a people's vote so that at the end of a general election, you end up with a people's vote Parliament. Now, mm. it's no surprise that 2017 left some people with majorities of under 10. So actually, everybody always says it, but it is actually the time to say it. Every vote counts. Every single vote counts. And PV Campaign is going to be channeling resources, activists and everything else into constituencies that are marginal to help elect people who support our campaign. Yeah. And dear listener, if you have not registered to vote, please do that. <laughs> <laughs> That feels important. That, that'll be what tips someone over the line. Yeah, exactly. A nicely worded request from Jason yeah. Arthur on the FFS Brexit yeah. podcast. A polite request. <laughs> Please register to vote. What else did we do in the media? We had um, our very own Abby Tomlinson on Victoria Derbyshire. Izzy on Five Live. And Hilary and Rania speaking at a Defend Democracy rally. 
So it's been a good... Indeed. And even just the last couple of days, we've had a, one of our first big events on a campus for the new uh, new academic year in Edinburgh. Mm. Very exciting. With event. Richard Leonard from Labour joining. One of the first times, I believe, he has spoken on a PV platform and made it quite clear that he would also campaign for Remain in a referendum. Yeah. And we've talked before about us not recognising perhaps enough of the shift that Labour have made and our role in helping to drive that. Richard Leonard being on a stage coming out for a PV is a big thing. He was very apathetic for a long time. Yeah, 100%. And it's absolutely not of the same scale at all, but I'm not going to pretend it didn't make me really very happy was when I got my Labour conference uh, guide for this year, next week through, and on the front page was a little placard that yeah, said, two, campaign, there were two of them. Yeah, two, yeah. campaign for a public vote in any way. And I'm going to pretend, not pretend, that that didn't make me happy. Yeah, absolutely. There still is, though. Did you see the clip of um, Emily Thornberry on Newsnight getting harangued about Labour's position? Oh, I didn't, and I'm not sure I want to. No, it was <laughs> it was brutal. So there's still some way to go, Labour <laughs> friends, if you're listening, but progress at least. So what's coming up? Well, our FFS team are going to be working with volunteers across the country to reach students as they head to university and to college. So uh, check out uh, what's going on in your Freshers' Fair. You may well see uh, one of the FFS team there. So that should be pretty good. Yeah, definitely. There's nothing quite like getting back to the absolute basics of just signing people up to join a campaign yeah. that gives them a voice. Yeah. That's like yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. most refreshing things we can do. And Liron, as we speak, is, I believe, at Barking College, currently signing up people there, which is exciting for us That's as well. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> good to know. Also alongside that one, our kind of summer tour aspect is kind of continuing so Izzy and Rosie will be off to Bedfordshire tomorrow to bring together multiple students unions and their leaders to work together on Brexit and how to campaign for a people's vote so just continuing to get that message out into unions all across the country. Yep and then our very own Richard Brooks will be packing his bags to join Rob Simpkins president of NUS Wales and FFS supporter at our event in Newport. So just at us next time Dominic Cummings when you want to go on the news and say get out of London Quite a lot of us are spending a significant amount of time everywhere but London. Yeah, at us, Dominic. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Order! Order! The Prime Minister will be aware that Podcast Live Politics will return to London on Saturday, October 5th. In, indeed, uh, I imagine uh, people in this house uh, will enjoy uh, seeing Chopper's Brexit podcast and the uh, Delling pod, uh, whilst the Honourable Gentleman will no doubt enjoy seeing polling politics uh, to see how badly he and his party are doing. Typical Tory bluster. I believe the Prime Minister would benefit from seeing the new European podcast, UK in a Changing Europe, and to think about Ian Dale and Jackie Smith's For the Many. Order! 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 Whether the House wishes to see talking politics or escape Brexit with the week unwrapped, there will be plenty of room for everyone. Even the Liberal Democrats can see Never Mind the Bar Charts. And all of these podcasts are live in London on October 5th. Indeed.
need. Tickets are available now from podcastlive.com. Unlock! So we're so pleased to have with us today Gavin Esfert, who's been a brilliant supporter of FFS and the People's Vote campaign since day one, I think I'm fair to say. So welcome and thanks for joining us. I'm very pleased to be here and I'm very pleased to support the People's Vote campaign and FFS because you do great work. What Sucking up to you. <laughs> that, that's a nice start. Uh, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And thank you for coming now. Okay, yeah, go, absolutely. Go. So um, <laughs> as ever, we start our podcast with the same question. Uh, who would you give an FFS award to for ridiculous behavior in the context of Brexit? <laughs> so spoiled for choice. Mm. I mean, I, I was thinking of a Lifetime Achievement Award for Boris Johnson. Of course. Uh, of course. But do you know what I'm going to go for? I'm going to go for one who's a real outlier. It's not a human being. It's a group of human beings. Her Majesty's Treasury. Because they mm. have just issued... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The most ridiculous propaganda. I used to respect people in the Treasury. And now they're saying one of the Brexit benefits is you'll be able to buy duty-free booze. Except for the fact that in order to buy duty-free booze, we've lost about 20% of the pound's value, which is a bit <laughs> yeah. of a bummer, I think. Uh, secondly, if Brexit does happen, we will need in future an ETIAS, which is a visa waiver, which will cost every one of us seven euros just to go on the booze cruise to France or whatever HM and Treasury wants us to do. And you can go already and load up with vast amounts of cigarettes and booze and bring them back in your car. So what are they playing at? Yeah. Could they possibly be trying to lie to us? I just wonder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's interesting for the... Um for the civil servants who have to pull that together, surely they're knowing it's absolute bullshit, but are doing it at the behest of yeah, you know, their minister. I, I, look, I know a lot of civil servants and quite a lot of politicians, and they don't get up in the morning wanting to do this country down or do the wrong things. And civil servants in particular have a really difficult task. But to put out this nonsense yeah. about the benefits of Brexit being duty-free booze, when the benefit of Brexit is that we can go there and buy stuff at the shop prices in Spain or France when we're there, is just ludicrous. They really must think we're stupid. It, I, I was almost tempted to uh, have as number two on my list, however, shortly behind them, uh, the Conservative Party attempt this morning to say that uh, Joe Swinson has committed some terrible sin by retweeting the fact that she's in favour of revoking Article 50. Yeah. Now, one of the rules, <laughs> or basic rules of social media, is if you're giving somebody more publicity to about 400,000 Conservative followers, they may actually think Joe Swinson is talking a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're number two. I, I put Treasury first because the bar for the Conservatives under James Cleverly has been very low. Um, but the bar normally to clear for Treasury is pretty high. I really respect them. And I'm afraid this is a terrible, yeah, terrible yeah. thing. And to I, I suspect we're going to see even more instances of that, right? Ridiculous announcements as the government tries to use its spin machine to say, this is all going to be fine. This is all going to be fine. Well, there's the, the, latest, <laughs> the latest one. And the reason I mentioned Boris Johnson was, of course, he is the person and he comes in number three because as far as he's concerned, I'm afraid nobody really believes a word coming out of his mouth. Um, but he has suggested, of course, a bridge between Scotland and Ireland. Now, he's also in the past suggested an airport on the sands of the Thames estuary, a bridge from France to England, and of course, a garden bridge, which cost us £53 million and has never been built. Yeah. So I don't know what it is with him and bridges, 
but uh, it seems to be it's great to announce things, but in the real world, occasionally you have to build them. Yeah, you actually have to do something <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite like a good tangent, I guess, because I think there has been a bit, it feels like there's been more of a conversation in the last couple of days, at least just like online, apart from anything, about this government's overall relationship with the truth. And I mean, I feel like you probably agree with me when I say it feels like it's heightened recently, their lack of relationship with the truth. But I'm kind of just quite interested on your take on it from all over the country. Are people noticing it? Do you think there's a way we can start to turn it around? Is it just challenging them with hard, cold facts or something like that? Yes, basically. I I got involved in the People's Vote campaign just over a year ago, about 15 months ago, actively involved because I was fed up with the lies that were being told. And it's now obvious to most people that we're being lied to. And indeed, the latest scandal is uh, allegations that perhaps members of the Privy Council weren't entirely honest with Her Majesty the Queen when they asking to prorogue her to prorogue Parliament. We've seen that 70% of people told an Ipsos Mori poll a couple of weeks ago that they didn't believe Boris Johnson when he said it was to get on with his exciting crime initiatives and NHS <laughs> initiatives and so on. Yeah. And I'm afraid I'm with I'm with them on that. And it's also rather trivial matters, you might say. I mean, he was in Aberdeenshire recently and got a lot of headlines and a lot of photographs in newspapers wrestling with a bull. Yes, kind of. I saw. And but he also said that there'd be absolutely no problem about British beef being sold in the United States, but the Americans wouldn't possibly expect to sell any of their beef to us. Now, this is so obviously nonsense. It's of a Trump level. And Trump, at least the media in the United States, keeps count of Trump alleged lies. And the Washington Post is particularly good in this. The last one I saw was in August, which I think said that he told 12,000 lies or falsehoods in just over 900 days of the presidency, which is 13 a day. The man is a workaholic. (laughs) And again, they're quite often ones that you can easily check. I mean, he said uh, he was against the Gulf War. He wasn't. He was for it. He said that Americans uh, pay the most taxes in the world. They clearly don't. And what really worries me, and the reason I wrote uh, a book about this, which I'm now touring the country talking about, Brexit without the bullshit, is there's so much of it, so much BS, so many lies, that unfortunately it degrades the whole political system. Because if you don't, you know, I spent one year of my life on one lie, which was Bill Clinton saying he didn't have sex with Monica Lewinsky, and it nearly brought down the presidency. And we look on that lie as the good old days. Mm. Mm. And now, my goodness. Yeah. It, it just feels overwhelming, doesn't it? It's barely a single day goes past when, you know, something's announced and then a few hours later it's challenged and then a few hours later you've got the first group of people saying, no, that's not true, it's not right, it's misrepresentative. But then it kind of like, it cycles because then a week later it gets proven and then they get challenged again. But by that time you've had a whole two, three, four, five million weeks of lives. Yeah. And after a while it just becomes completely like, you just want to throw your hands up a little bit and be like, I actually just can't keep up with you, therefore I can't challenge you. That's what I feel like. I think that's that, uh, that's the Trump effect because he tells so many it's a blizzard of lies that if you as a journalist spent all day saying sorry that's not true that's not true that's not true that's not true it would be very wearing and some people are incensed by it some people have just kind of turned off mm. um what I've tried to do the reason I wrote Brexit without the bullshit was try to talk about the facts try to take away all the rhetoric about, you know, Norway plus and Canada plus plus and all the other things with plus added, which don't mean anything at all, unless it's, you know, plus an extra cup of coffee or a big donut or something. So, um, but the, but the facts 
eventually will play out. And then we will realize that whatever they say about duty-free booze that you can get and so on, if you can't get insulin, if we can't get nurses, I was in an event in Oxford a couple of days ago where uh, somebody, a doctor working at the NHS, was talking really eloquently about the difficulties of recruiting nurses at all and the fact that really key staff members from EU 27 countries are leaving. Mm. That's the fact. Yeah. And if you can't get somebody to do your social care or your nursing or palliative care when when we're we're going to die, I think people will wake up. And I'd like them to wake up sooner rather than later. What, what role can the media play in highlighting those lies before disaster happens? And in particular, because I think I'm right in saying you were at uh, Auntie Beeb for over 40 years. How do you look at the BBC's role at the moment and how effectively they're challenging these lies at the moment? I think there's two or three different questions in that. Uh, One is uh, we have to look at the media across the media and there's amazing journalists out there who work really hard and try to get the best stories and do it accurately and that's they're my friends Mm -hmm. and they're in pretty much most of the big newspapers on television, on Sky, on BBC, on ITN. So that's one part. Second part is when we look at the media landscape, you suddenly realize that the most popular papers in this country are owned or run directly by people who are not resident for tax purposes. Mm. You know, Rupert Murdoch was an Australian. He's now an American. Uh, He's got great British interests. Uh, And similar things are true of other newspapers as, as well. And the most vitriolic Brexity papers are the ones owned by people who are not tax residents in this country. Mm. And I don't know what we can do about that, but that's part of it. And then the final part is there's a particular responsibility on broadcast journalists because I kind of grew up in an atmosphere where people were expected to be accurate, of course, fair, of course, and balanced. Mm. And the trouble, it seems to me, is partly calling out lies all the time is quite wearing, although broadcasters do do it, and they do do it very well on the big issues. But this question of balance is has got to be rethought mm. and is being rethought because if, if you have somebody who knows about trade deals, there's not much point just having somebody from the Brexit party who's got an opinion about trade deals but actually knows nothing and says they'll all be easy because trade deals are really difficult. Mm. Mm. I, I often say it's like... Michael Gove said we'd had enough of experts. Michael Gove does not go to some man in the pub to have his teeth fixed. He goes to a dentist who's an expert. And you wouldn't put a dentist with some man in the pub talking about dental treatment. So why would you put uh, someone who knows about trade or knows how the economy works with someone who happens to be working for some supposed think tank whose finances we don't know? Why would you do that? Why is that balanced? Mm. And broadcasters have to rethink that. Mm. I guess the the flip side would be Brexiters would say, well, the metropolitan elite all have uh, the same view. And so putting them on the pedestal as being the knowledgeable ones versus us as the real people who have an understanding of what's in the best interests of the country means that the BBC isn't or any broadcaster isn't being balanced and fair because they would say that, wouldn't they? How do you counter that? Well, there's nothing I like better than a millionaire like Richard Tice in the Brexit party or Nigel Farage, who's for 20 years has been a career politician and before that worked in the city, or Jacob Rees-Mogg or any of those others, 
calling me somebody who was born in a council house in Clyde Bank, mm. the first I go to go to university in my family, the metropolitan elite. I have always wanted to be part of the metropolitan elite <laughs> so I can look down. to be part of it. I'm not the metropolitan elite. I'm just somebody who's traveled around this country and really loved this country. And uh, so this is self-serving propaganda, actually. And they use it with everybody. You know, they use it with anybody that doesn't agree with them. Mm. And the truth is that what they dislike is anyone who takes them on. Mm. And they try to denigrate them in any way possible. Mm. And they're very good at it, actually, to be fair to them. They're very, very good at trying to put people in boxes, coming up with sl uh, slick slogans, rather like um, Donald Trump, yeah. lock her up, make America great again, and all that kind yeah, of, yeah, kind of thing. Uh, Pocahontas, you know, the, all the usual slurs that they come up with uh, against people they don't like. Yeah. But the but the po the point still stands. Actually, you know, this country has changed enormously in the past year. I can feel it. Every I've been in, uh, you know, recently I've been in Edinburgh. I've been in Leeds. I'm going to be in Isher tonight. Uh, I was in Oxford the other day. Uh, I go to Kent quite a lot. When you travel around this country from Yorkshire and Scotland to Belfast, where I'll be going to shortly, you realise that people have seen through this. They know that they're being lied to. And the question is whether some of them care very much about it or not. Mm. My, my sense is that things are moving. Mm. Just, uh, I guess, a final word on that is uh, the thing that I find particularly interesting is that there is a group of people who probably know or definitely know that the things that they're hearing aren't true. And yet it's become such a totemic cultural war issue that they just don't care. They just don't care about the fact that some of the stuff they're hearing is fake because supporting Brexit is the hill that they're prepared to die on, the ditch they're prepared to die on. That's their position. And it's a difficult issue to see how you, you overcome that, right? Yes, sadly, I think the only way they may change their minds is if Brexit actually happens and then they realise it's not a, an event, it's a process, will take years. We'll be talking about Brexit for years unless we get rid of it now. Mm. Uh, and... I think also part of it is that they rather like if you buy if you buy a car which turns out to be a dud you tend to I did once and I tended to defend my you know it's red it's what could be wrong with it doesn't it look nice it's really shiny it didn't go it leaked oil cost me a fortune until I got rid of it and I think there's a little bit of that I when I was canvassing uh, in the recent uh, European elections first time ever I joined a political party I had four weeks with Change UK in London. And a woman came up to me and said, I'm not going to vote for you. I said, oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to vote for Nigel Farage. Okay, why are you doing that? And she said, because the European Union is completely undemocratic. And I said, so just let me, just let me get this right. You're voting in an election for a parliament for somebody who's for 20 years has been voted into that parliament. Which are the bits of that that you think are undemocratic? And she looked very perplexed, 30-year-old woman, very decent lady. And she said, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that, and then walked away. And what struck me about that conversation is if you've got years and years of nonsense along those lines, mm. that it's quite easy to believe it. And it's very difficult to shake out of it. Mm. And I'm sure that lady didn't vote for me. I'm sure she did vote for the Brexit party. Mm. I, find that, I find that quite interesting because also so much of this is based off public it is just based off public perceptions and how they're 
shaped. But I think the one thing that I've always found quite interesting about you is your public perception, your persona has gone from impartial journalist to actually really quite active campaigner. And I think, you know, do you think actually your journey is maybe a bit em- emblematic of actually a lot of people in this country who maybe at first were with Brexit were like, not going to get involved. It's happened. We'll see what happens. And now, you know, three years down the line, they're like, no, like, come on now. Like, it's time for me to become a campaigner too. I think that's exactly right. I think I've met a lot of people like that. Mm. Uh, And I think there's something bigger going on. I wrote the book because it is bigger than, than Brexit. It seems to me that we are in a country of enlightenment values. We believe in science. We believe in facts. We believe in knowledge and we believe in experts. That's what we've been like for 200 plus years. And suddenly we have people who, with no scientific background, say that uh, the measles vaccination is going to be bad for you. We have people who say climate change doesn't exist against the absolute overwhelming evidence that of course it exists. And we've got people saying about Brexit, in the case of Andrea Jenkins, a conservative MP, when it ran into difficulty, she tweeted, oh, it'll be all right if you just believe yeah, and that really gets to me. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. believe stuff. Like I'm quite good at putting up with, you know, members of parliament outright lying, actually, and just challenging that or refusing to even talk to us about stuff. But when they come out with the just believe, I'm like, you are as out of touch with people in this country as it's actually possibly to be. But it like, draw- just believe it, yourself better, you know? It believe yourself. a lot of the debate, though, isn't it? It's like, we've got to believe in Britain, global Britain. You know, we, we can stand on our own two feet. It's And if you don't share that view, you don't believe in Britain. It's... Could, could, could I could I say that, Jason, I, th- I think there's a challenge here for all of us, which is the facts are important. And the facts are, for example, that however much he talks, Boris Johnson actually doesn't achieve very much. He's never built that bridge over the, you know, the Thames, the Garden Bridge. But for those of us who understand that part of the debate is about just believe, we have to touch people with where, what, where they feel. Mm. What do they feel about this country? What can we do? To, to to persuade them that what they feel about this country is fine, but it's not going to be fixed by Brexit. And I often go back to that notorious slogan on the bus, 350 million pounds a week for the EU, factually wrong, total nonsense. But underneath it said, let's fund the NHS instead, yeah, yeah, yeah. which touches our yeah. feelings and our hearts. Yeah. We've got to do something. And I think particularly younger voters, students and others who are really politicized now, thank goodness, have got to get out and talk about what they believe is their future and what they believe in for this country and touch the way people feel as well as the facts. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about Change UK. You Mm -hmm. talked about being a candidate for them in the European elections. What's your take on Change UK now, their role in British politics, if any, uh, your personal leanings on the party political front? Are you going to also join the Lib Dems and jump ship or not? What's what's your take on all of that? I think, uh, well, what we've proved is that it's very difficult to have a startup political party in Britain, particularly in the middle ground. The middle ground is a difficult place, but that doesn't mean to say it's the wrong place. And I think a lot of people uh, have woken up to that. I think I think what happened with Change UK, I, I joined them. I, I was very happy, actually, to campaign for a Remain vote. Mm. And that's what I care about. And I don't care about, actually, very much the badge. I've never belonged to a political party before. I certainly didn't care about the logo, mm. which was criticised. I don't <laughs> even know, drama. I, I, I don't know <laughs> what any logos are. I mean, I, I thought the Twitter logo was the Conservatives logo, and I got that completely wrong. <laughs> Shows you how visually, you know, out of touch I am. But the, the, the serious point is, 
that somehow we've got to have a credible Remain alternative. And that means working together. Now, I don't care what you badge it as. I really don't care what you badge it as. Remain Alliance, Lib Dems, Change UK, Greens, whatever. And those sections of the Labour Party, which is most of the Labour Party that really care about this, and some very, very brave Conservatives. So I don't know how we do it, but we have to do it. Mm. And that's what, that's what I care about. I care about the objective. I don't care. You know, I ask myself, how do you become Chris Grayling? for example. You become Chris Grayling by joining a political party. You're very loyal. You're not actually very good at doing things, but they keep you in it. Mm. That's exactly the wrong kind of politics for me. I want to do something for this country, and I don't care whether there's a label or a job. Mm. Do you have a sense of what that next step for you in the political realm could or should be? Not, not yet. I mean, uh, you know, fundamentally, I'm a writer. I write, I've written half a dozen novels and three works of nonfiction. I've got another couple of book projects. Uh, that's what I want to do. I'm a writer and a communicator. And if I feel I could do something for the country by doing other things politically or speaking at people's vote rallies, which I do quite often, then I'm ha very happy to do it. But I'm not looking for a job, hmm. <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> um, so one of the other reasons, obviously, we were quite keen to get you on was because you are very fortunate to be Chancellor of the University of Kent, mm. excellent university, um, based in Canterbury, which in obviously in the general election 2017 was one of the biggest upsets, really. Canterbury electing a Labour MP for mm. the first time ever, I think. I yes, I first say. time ever. Um, truly wonderful MP as well, if I may say, Rosie Duffield. But I think I'm just quite interested in what you think the role of students and young people is going forward. Well, I think that the... the the things that cheer me up about the Brexit mess are that people come out to political meetings, people who've not been involved in political parties get involved, yeah. and that people particularly aged between 18 and 21 are saying, what on earth is happening to this country? Who is stealing my future? I mean, mm. they put it different ways. A number of times people have said to me, uh, not anybody who's born in this century has a chance to vote on this yet. Yeah. And I'm really, and there's various words that follow, but they generally yeah. mean angry about it. So I think that's great. And I think uh, Canterbury is very interesting because the Students' Union at the University of Kent worked really hard to register people to yeah. vote. And please register whatever your views, please vote. And you can change things. I mean, Rosie Duffield has got a very healthy majority now in Canterbury, a town which has never voted for the Labour Party and has been conservative, I think, since the First World War or thereabouts yeah. for 100 years. So it proves you can change things. And whether you vote, whoever you vote for, consider where to vote as well, because many university students' unions up and down the country are saying, you know, you may be in a safe seat at home. Maybe you think it's hopeless, but have a look here at this university town mm. and maybe you should register here. Mm. Mm. I do think tactical voting, I mean, obviously the PV campaign has been quite clear on what we intend to do mm. and help people do with tactical voting. But I do think, you know, it looks more and more likely that Farage and Johnson will do a pact if there's a general election. And the only way to beat that is by tactical voting. But trying to get that across to people who have been, you know, a party member their whole life is a really difficult message to kind of say to people actually you might be a Labour Party member but you might have to go and vote Lib Dem or vice versa or yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's more difficult for them than people like me who have been an observer about politics for years and yeah. have got friends in all parties actually I'm uh, you know most people join political parties for good reasons yeah. and they they really do believe they're doing the best for their country and that's great and we have seen it we've seen the selflessness I mean I really pay, pay tribute to those 
roughly two dozen Conservative MPs in particular who've taken a really difficult step yeah. recently. And yeah, and they they obviously are being punished for it. Mm. But voters can help them. Yeah, agreed. Be interesting to see which of them run, actually. Yeah. yeah for yeah, what yeah. party and why as well. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, Going to end with a, an unfair question, which we ask everyone who comes on this podcast but uh predictions on the future (laughs) (laughs) what's gonna happen (laughs) well uh, i think it was it was a physicist i think it was niels bohr who said the problem with predictions about the future is it hasn't happened yet Mm. Uh, so having having dodged that i will now attempt to answer it i think i think well the most interesting thing for me is what will happen in the courts and whether the courts don't like people who lie, and neither do I, and neither does this, this country. And if the British people come to feel that the Prime Minister of our country has misled Her Majesty the Queen for the reasons of he wanted to prorogue Parliament, I think that will be quite serious, actually. So that's part of it. I think there will be an election. It may be at the end of November. Um, but I don't think we'll be leaving the European Union by October the 31st. And if we are... It will be presumably because Boris Johnson has figured out some way to sort out the Irish backstop by calling it the Irish stop back or something. Mm. I mean, it will be changing a few commas and words Oh God, it will probably be around. something like that, won't it? It will yeah. literally be that basic and it will... And he will then say... Rebrand and then... Yeah, and he'll then say to his party, you know, ERG, you've got to support me because otherwise Brexit won't happen. You Labour people, you've got to support us because it is Brexit. And it will be a pointless Brexit mm. as opposed to a painful Brexit. Mm. So we shall see. If there is a general election, which side do you think wins it? So to the point that Amanda made earlier about Brexit, the Brexit party and the Tories joining forces, assume Labour and the Lib Dems and Greens are somehow able to get their act together. What's your take on... Well, what worries what worries me, of course, is rather like America in 2016, that more people vote for Hillary Clinton than voted for uh, Donald Trump. But because of the system, Trump wins. Mm. And Mm. what worries me is that the leave vote, if I can put it that way, which is the sort of Brexit stroke conservative vote, is less than 50%, maybe 42%, 43%. And the Remain vote is much more than that and should win, but doesn't actually win enough seats. Now, that would really worry me. And it's just further evidence, I'm afraid, that the political system in our country is broken. Not individual politicians, but the way in which it works, our lack of a clear constitution, our lack of uh, this, uh, uh, in my view, ridiculous fixed parliament, act, fixed term parliament act, it just seems to me to be rid- ridiculous. The way in which Scotland has been utterly ignored and may actually provoke another independence referendum in Scotland, which the SNP would win. So everything is up for grabs in the next few years. And I just hope that the remain parties who represent the majority of people in this country, of that I'm absolutely clear, can somehow work together. Mm-hmm. What a note to finish on. I yeah. also hope they can work together. <laughs> yeah, as um, do I. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're all agreed. <laughs> yeah. We're working together. But thank you so much again for joining us. And I'm sure, very hopeful, that we'll see you at further People's Vote rallies and different events all across the country. So thanks again so much for thank joining. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, as ever, thank you for listening to our podcast. Thanks to Gavin Esler for making an appearance on our little podcast. Indeed. So please tune in next week when there's bound to be more chaos. That feels like an absolute given right Mm. now. And everything we've just said will be completely out of date. Horribly, horribly out of date. And goodbye. Bye.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.